Hawks Live. Every Thursday night at 7, live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka. Come on, guys. Let me take over. And Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, welcome to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer. We're at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. And coming up at 8 o'clock, we're going to have Seahawks defensive lineman Dion Jordan join us. And also, we're hoping to get an opponent preview from the San Francisco 49ers, somebody down there in the Bay Area. We're going to go inside the film room with Coach Paul Moyer. We'll talk to John Clayton, Danny O'Neill. But before we get to that, Paul... I didn't get a chance to listen to the post-game show. It was awesome. Yeah? No, I don't know. No, it was so much fun because, you know, going on the road and getting a a victory like that. Seahawks win 30-27 over Carolina Panthers, who were 6-4 and at that point. I thought going into this year with this young group that they would get an unlikely win. And probably, this was probably the most unlikely going forward. If you go back last week, you okay, you got to go on the road to a 6 and 14. Carolina was 10 and 0 going back to last year at home. Yeah. 5 and 0 this year and really good team and looked like they were playoff bound, but now they're 6 and 5 just like the Seahawks. They have the Seahawks have a head-to-head uh, advantage with them and also Detroit and if they come into play and also Dallas and also Green Bay. So really huge win on the road, Paul. Yeah, we got Minnesota coming up as well that we're we're fighting for a wild card. The Redskins are in there also. Just kind of hoping the the Cowboys would lose this tonight, even though which is shocking that they're winning uh, against. I'm looking. Sorry, my eyes aren't against New Orleans. Here's what I will say. Last week. Um, and it was a tough game. A lot of people go, oh, you know, Carolina, you know, we, we, we've done well against them in the past, which we have. Our record against them is phenomenal. But they were averaging 31 points uh, a game at home. They were undefeated, right. as you mentioned, at home. Now they're on a three-game skid, which is good because, you know, let them keep losing is fine with me. It is just about winning. It doesn't matter how you do it. You got to win by one point in the NFL. This isn't college. This isn't the the, the CFP playoffs where they're going to have a committee and figure out who the four teams yeah. are going to play. Quality of win this, or loss. Exactly. Yeah. It's just win because there were people saying, "Well, how can you? How can the CS continue to to give up big plays defensively?" And you know, we we there. Carolina was in the red zone seven times against us, but they only scored three times. So I look at it as a positive. It means we're tough against teams in the red zone. We've always been tough at giving up points. And it's just finding ways to win. And, and I think that's what Pete Carroll's done this year. He's just said, look, this is our team. And this far into the season, you are who you are. Yeah. What we've done, there's not going to be any magical fixes along the way. You just find ways to win. And, and one of them is we're going to be a bend-but-don't-break type of team. We're going to play between the 20s. Forget about the statistics. It's all about how many points that you give up, and, and the Seahawks are still one of the best in the league at that. Well, and we'll get into San Francisco a little bit later and previewing them, but this was a stretch, Paul, where you went against Matthew Stafford, yeah. and then it went to Philip Rivers, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, and Cam Newton. But the other thing that came along with those guys were on Johnson, the, the great quarterback-running back tandem that we've seen Philip Rivers comes along with Melvin Gordon. 
Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, Aaron Jones had over 100 yards and two touchdowns against the Seahawks. And then Christian McCaffrey, it was a tough matchup. Now, I'll say this, you know, they, McCaffrey went for like 230 yards. And like you said, they they punched the Seahawks defense in the mouth, but they hung on. They got the turnover. And the thing I was thinking in that Carolina game, Paul, is like there was five times where the ball was on the turf. We got none of them. Yeah, that's I pretty thought, Oh, pretty no. Crazy. Here we go. But like you said, this is a, it's a different team. They're not going to be dominant defensively, not this year. They're not going to all of a sudden magically become this you know, shutdown defense. But like you said, they make plays at key moments and do just enough to win. Yeah, and if you look at them statistically on defense, you know, their sacks per play, I, you know, we're, we're number 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range. So, so we're in the mix. I mean, that's efficient football. But there are going to be games when we play Carolina where he'd only given up 20 sacks uh, all year. It's, they're, they're not going to take a sack. They're going to dump it off to McCaffrey in those situations. You go and play a team like Green Bay, and you've got Aaron Rodgers who says, I will take a sack for the big play. What do we get, four or five sacks in that game? So it just depends on the team. This is a new era of offensive football. Not only the rules, you know, where you can't touch anybody, the way they spread the, the formations out, and now they're starting to run these things that we saw in high school, Dave, at Interlake and Bellevue when Juanita used to run the fly sweep. Fly sweep. And it was hard. It was hard to defend. We were just better at Bellevue, so we just we didn't have to scheme it that hard. But... I do remember how difficult it was to scheme. Now you throw that in the NFL where it's all spread out, and then you've got to bring guys in to try and cover wide receivers and these gifted quarterbacks. There's like 12 or 13 quarterbacks who have a a quarterback rating of over 100. Dave, that number used to be unheard of. If you were in the 80s and 90s, you were an all-pro potential Hall of Fame quarterback. Now if you're not in the hundreds, you're just another guy. So it's, it's different. You don't expect teams to be shut out all the time. It's particularly on the road. Um, but I, I like how the CX are playing. They run the football still well. If you, you want to take away our run, we saw this last week, Russell Wilson and company will go over the top on you. Well, you talk about the offenses, and Phillip Rivers over the weekend went like 28 for 29. Isn't that crazy? Paul, he completed 25 passes in a row. And, you know, they're, they're, a lot of it is the rule changes. Yep. A lot of, some of it is the types of plays that they're running. But, you know, you see offenses are just putting up huge numbers. Well, well I mean, so how about Cam Newton? Cam yep. Newton, who has only twice in his career uh, completed over 60% of his passes. Yes. I think the highest ever was 61%. Yep. He's pushing 69% this year. He was 14 for 14 at halftime. Yep. I, I mean, it's Cam Newton. You know, I mean, again, he's a fantastic quarterback, but that's not his strength, and that's completing high percentage of passes. So the game has changed. It'll, it'll change again. Defenses will adapt. But right now, it is it is hard to play defense in the NFL. Well, and Paul, here, here's one of the things I thought, anyway, from being there, watching Cam Newton. I'm not a fan of Cam Newton. I mean, I think he's a great player, but I think his mental attitude is lacking a little bit. And so I thought that what happened in this game was that this team, the Seahawks, took on the personality of their leader, which is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, and you'll relate to this really well, not as a quarterback, just in general, but as far as a competitor, he reminds me of Dave Craig. That, like, we can win no matter what. Don't think about all the goofiness <laughs> of Dave so Craig. So, we're on radio, and Dave just saw my facial expression yes, there. I, I, I looked up, and I go, 
Uh, okay, I keep only, going. I only keep say going. that because I love Dave Craig. Yeah. But he was the most competitive yes, guy. He and he was like, I, you always have a chance. And so, you know, that I, I thought that that game played out that way, that Cam Newton, the towel kind of went over his head. He sort of went in the tank a little bit. And the reason why they won that is because this young, exuberant team, just uh, they're having fun playing. And I thought they kind of took on the personality of what Russell Wilson's all about. It's all about fourth quarter, too, for this team. We, we know. Just keep it close, particularly on the road. Find a way to win. And you know, Russell Wilson, his first two passes were incomplete. I think his first eight to ten, he was around 50%. He ends up finishing 22 for 31. But if you took away the first two passes, he's 22 for 29. He's, you know, 335 yards, two touchdowns. It, 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 he never gets down. You know, he, he'll, he'll at times even go to Pete Carroll and, I got this. Don't right. worry about how I start. It's how I finish. And Russ was one of the greatest at finishing in the fourth quarter. All right, coming up next, we're going to do a little bit of a San Francisco 49er. I know you've been looking at film, Paul, looking at these 49ers. Video. Yeah, we'll do video. a little bit of a preview. We don't need anybody from the Bay Area no. to do this. We'll do it ourselves. That's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer. And I want to thank our sponsors, Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and, of course, Legendary Donuts. And Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar delicious dinner before the show talk to chef bradley about it steak bistro make sure you join us every thursday down here so you can enjoy the food too so paul we're going to do a little bit of a preview here of the 49ers i know you and i both have been looking at them this week and they're two and nine coming in here yeah it's funny paul you remember this as a player you interview the players and you tell them stats and like the record and everything and they're like yeah i don't even know what their record is i don't even know who we're playing next week and that's the mentality of players. Like, you get the film, you look at it, and most often you say, wow, these guys are really good. And I think the, the Niners, you and I agree, are a team that belies their 2-9 and nine record. We will not overlook this team. And, and, and partly because that's just not the makeup of the Seahawks and certainly Pete Carroll. But let's pretend they did. <laughs> and, or going into the game, if I threw a different jersey on these guys, you would say that's a pretty good football team. First of all, their rankings, Seattle offensively were ranked 16th and defensively were ranked 16th. They're ranked 17th, and it's by .2 uh, in far as yards go. And they're ranked 11th defensively. You watch their defensive line, they are big, they're athletic, They've got Armstead, who's, you know, a freak of nature. They've got DeForest Buckner, who's a, a force as well. The thing that's killing them, it's turnovers. Yeah. They are minus 17 in the plus-minus turnover ratio. They, they've only got two interceptions this year. They, if, they did, if they had a quarterback, this would be a dangerous team. They've got a fantastic running game. Their offensive line moves people. They've got Breida, a running back, who is going to be a battle for us. With that being said, look, we're going to win this game as long as we don't do anything crazy in the turnovers standpoint. But it is not going to be an easy game if this is a 0-0 turnover game. It's going to be a one-possession fourth-quarter game like most of them we've had. So I just don't want anybody thinking, oh, 2-9 San Francisco's coming into town. It's going to be a cakewalk. No, it's not. 
Um, they've got a huge Northwest flavor. Obviously, we know Richard Sherman is coming back. We're going to ask you guys a question there. Dante Pettis, former, former University of Washington player. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, who's their leading wide receiver uh, in catches. He's from Eastern Washington Another University. Another Eastern guy. Yep. Um, and then you got Malcolm Smith, Cassius Marsh, Gary Gilliam, um, some guys that you know, the, you're, you're familiar with the Seahawks. So they're going to know us, uh, and it's, it's going to be a tough game. And I guarantee Richard Sherman's going to have them fired up to play. Yeah, well, and the other uh, guy, Kyle Shanahan, who, yep. by the way, he was a snot-nosed little ball boy yeah, when he, I was playing in Denver. Did you smack him around? No, I didn't. I mean, he was uh, my – the head coach was uh, Mike Shanahan. Yeah, and That was his son, and uh, yeah, I probably should have. But, yeah, he's a good offensive mind, and Pete Carroll talked this week about Kyle Shanahan and – Sean McVay and what those two guys are doing offensively and really had a lot of respect for them. But, you know, no Jimmy Garoppolo this year, and they're down now to Sean Mullins, who's their third-string quarterback. Yep. The question has been posed, where, where do you think they would be? We talked about this all week. What do you think their record is if they have Jimmy Garoppolo? I think Maybe they're probably a couple games. Cl- Yeah, probably in that 500 range. The weird thing is they're just not turning or they're not creating turnovers on defense. Um, two interceptions. You know, you got Richard Sherman, who you know usually has two or three just on his own, and he's not the same guy. I mean, he's he's a shell of himself. He he doesn't run like he used to. Still smart. I mean, he's still a good football player, but he's not the Pro Bowl guy that we're we're used to. So I'm going to ask you, audience here, pay attention here. So I've been a lot of talking, Richard Sherman. Um, Stop your gossiping. Just, just your Paul's th- talking. Just your, well, they weren't paying attention. They were drinking, which is good. Um, been a lot of polls. Are we going to boo him? Or are we going to cheer him? So I'm going to do a thumbs up. What are you going to do? You cheer, cheer Richard when he comes in. Okay. What about? Then, How about if you have him cheer, Paul, so we can hear him? I was cheer. I was that. Cheer for him, or, or are we booing him? Booze. All right. Boo. So it's, it's probably going to be I'm a little mixed. Him. I told Rabel today that I'm going to boo him anytime. You are know. You? you know what's funny, Paul? Do you remember they used to uh, announce the opposing team? Oh yes, I do. When we play, yeah, yeah. And I'm I used to us, hate that because they always oh. uh, they always used to introduce the defense when we were on the road. Yes, and not at home. Always, I'm like, defensive guys game? always get screwed. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, and I'm gonna tell a story tomorrow on Story Time on our show, Danny, David, Moore, about how uh, I got booed one time at, at home. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is mean. Paul. I know. I, That's I didn't just know. mean. On the road. At least they knew no, who you were. on the road, yeah. I, that's yeah, a compliment, it was a, Dave. It was no, see, I loved it. I thought it was great. But, you know, and I'm sure Sherman will probably just love that. I think that the best thing that you could do is give him no reaction, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's Bunch like a bad little – he's a bad little child. He, he just wants a reaction one way or the other. What do, you, what do you see from him when you're watching him? I got a text from you, and I started looking at the Tampa Bay film. I saw him get beat pretty badly on the outside, and – I don't know. Is he uh, maybe playing possum so well, Russell will throw against him? It, well, I don't think so. They, it, it, and you're right. He was playing Mike Evans, who's a very good wide receiver for Tampa Bay, and he was up in press early, and he got beat bad. He got beat deep on a go route, and if it was a better throw, it would have been a touchdown, but it was still probably a 40-, 50-yard play. He did not press the rest of the game, which means he's not confident in his speed anymore. His, he's, he, opens, he used to never open up to the outside early. So if you have a wide receiver who you know, stems you outside or, or looks like he's going to release outside, he would always stay very square of the line of scrimmage and try and jam you. Now he opens right away to try to cut that off, and so he's really susceptible to the inside move. 
and he, he's, he, he's a smart guy because he's perfected this wheel route back inside as well. But his speed, man, he got beat so bad. He just doesn't run well anymore. He's, not a, he's never been a mirror guy. And his effort, I mean, just, I'm not here to dog him because he's, he's so special his time here with the Seahawks. Yeah. I mean, and that, he's going to be in the ring of honor and, and someday going to be a Hall of Famer. I'm not here to dog him. But he's not playing well, and I can't tell if, it's, if he's hurt. Um, what I do know is they pulled him with about seven and a half minutes in the game last week. Yeah, Richard Sherman, look, I mean, he's one of those guys. It's kind of like when Brett Favre left Green Bay and went to Minnesota. Yeah. 10, 15 years from now, everybody's all going to be friends. We're gonna, you're gonna, he's going to get a standing ovation coming back here, but right now he's the enemy. So you know, we're going to treat him accordingly. I mean, it's, he, got, he got jilted. He got, uh, he, got, he got broken up by a girlfriend. And he, he can't quite get over that, and that the Seahawks are playing better and, and they don't miss him that much on defense. I think he'd have a hard time starting here right now. I really do. Uh, I mean, I think at least from the games I, I've seen. Well, and look, he's a fifth rounder just like Trey Flowers. Yeah. And I'm loving what I'm seeing out of Trey Flowers. And I'll tell you what, next here on Hawks Live, we're going to take a look, go in with Coach Paul Moyer here and go inside the film room and look at three plays from last week's win at Carolina. That's next. Right here on Hawks Live. Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer listening to Hawks Live here at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar. And coming up next, I'm sorry, coming up at 8 o'clock. We're going to have Seahawks defensive end Dion Jordan. I guarantee you, you're going to enjoy that interview. And Dion's done a really good job over the last uh, over the last few weeks. We want to thank our, our sponsors, Heritage Distillings, Batch Number Twelve Vodka, and Legendary Donuts. And now is the time that we go into the film room and check out three plays from the Seahawks from last weekend. And Paul, these are some good ones to choose from. And the first one, you know, a guy Bradley McDougal. When they signed him a couple of years ago, I remember John Schneider saying, man, I don't know if everybody understands what a big deal this is. Bradley McDougal, number 30, he's made so many plays out there and got a chance to visit with him and see him after the game. And he was just so happy and joyous. And I feel like that this team is kind of young, and he's probably, what, he's one of the older guys on the defense right now, but he just has that youthful exuberance. And, man, he made a great play down near the goal line. Caffrey lines up just to the right hip of Cam Newton. Takes a shotgun snap. Play fake. Going to throw to the end zone. Got a man there. Ball is tipped up and intercepted. Bradley McDougal in the end zone. Ball intended for Chris Manhurts, the tight end, at the goal line. And Bradley McDougal tips it up to himself and picks it off in the end zone. And, Dave, there's that takeaway you were talking about that the Seahawks needed. Yeah, what a genius I was. I predicted we needed a turnover. Is that the first time he said, "Hey, good job"? Yeah. I'm going to start getting. Hey, on it's him on always that. good, but look, it looked man-to-man coverage there from Bradley McDougal. It looked like they had a deep safety there. Paul, tell us about the finer points of his <laughs> technique, because man, he tips it with one hand, and then it comes down, and just great awareness and a good job of getting his head around looking for the ball. Yeah, there's a couple things on that. They they end up uh, putting two tight ends in in the. Uh, for their formation and so they ran a double tight uh, on each side and McDougal was on our left they were in a gun uh, where, where um, Cam Newton was uh, in the gun position 
Cam looks at our middle linebacker and our safety. And so he looks down the middle. Our safety breaks to Cam's left. Mm-hmm. So, and then he looks at our middle linebacker, and he thinks he's got a cover two. Uh, in, in which, you know, in that case, you want to hit the tight end down the middle. Down the and, seam. Down the seam. And sure enough, you know, that's what he tried to do. He didn't even see McDougal. McDougal was sitting on the outside of the tight end. And, God, it was just a great play. I, I mean, I was, I was watching how he did it. He tipped it with his left hand, tipped it up to himself, made the interception in the end zone. He is he's my MVP on defense right now. He, without him, because he does so much, he can cover tight ends, wide receivers. He is a phenomenal tackler. And, you know, McCaffrey was a challenge last week. He yeah. missed him a, a couple times. But, boy, they put him on an island out in space, McDougal and McCaffrey by himself. And I was like, hey, you're going to miss sometimes. Sometimes you got to yeah. give credit. But that play was phenomenal. Can you imagine being out on in an island, like you said, where mm-hmm. it basically means there's like 10, 12 yards. Uh, there's nobody except you and guys like Christian McCaffrey and Todd Gurley now. I mean, and he really did a good job. And I'm with you. He's, he's the MVP. The next play, well, this was the big one. Fourth and three. And I was up in the booth with Rabel, and I'm going, it's fourth and three. The middle of the field was open. Why in the world is Russell <laughs> making this throw? I but agree. you know what? I should never doubt Russell again. This could be ball game. Russell takes the shotgun snap, looks. Now he's going to throw down the far sideline. Got a man out there reaching up, making the catches more. Touchdown, Seahawks. David Moore running stride for stride with the defender. Corn Elder, 35 yards out, and Russell threw it on the dive perfectly, and I don't think Elder ever saw it, but David Moore did. Tell you what, Russell Wilson makes a great throw there, but we talked to David Moore today on the huddle, Paul, and you know, he was talking about late hands, and that's something that when you're in man-to-man coverage as a defender, you're not looking back at the quarterback, you're just looking at the receiver, and one of the things, and I, I tell the story, I think I told this on the air during the game, that I used to cover Shannon Sharp in practice against the Broncos. He was so good at he did not like put his hands up early or anything. He would just kind of take the ball in real casually. He wouldn't. His eyes wouldn't get big. There's all kinds of little things that you oh, can yeah. do as a receiver to sort of, you know, make it not look like the ball is coming. And so it makes it really hard on the defender. And David Moore, in just his second year, is a seventh round draft choice out of East Central Oklahoma. Man, what a great pickup he has been this year at receiver and what's that five touchdowns for him now yeah it, it, this has been the, the surprise certainly on offense i think we saw it in preseason with david moore what we were going to get but yeah you know, let me just talk about this play um it's fourth and three and and we've got uh, ed dixon is in at tight end as well so we got a slot to our left the defense is right um you got tyler lockett in the slot uh, to the left you've got doug baldwin down by himself to the right <clears throat> Russell Wilson goes back. It's fourth and three. He looks for Doug Baldwin initially. Doug is jammed. I mean, and the guy cuts him off on the fade route. And so Russell has a decision to make because they kept Ed Dixon in the block because they had seven guys around the line of scrimmage. So it's a three-man route. You got Tyler Lockett who runs a crossing route. It's there, but it's not there initially. It would have been if he had held on to it a little bit longer for Russell. And this is where I said, to me, Russell changed the first time we played the Rams and that he's not afraid to throw in tight windows anymore. That doesn't mean you force it and turn the ball over, but you've got to make tough throws when guys aren't completely open. He looks to his right to Doug Baldwin. He's covered. He goes all the way back left side, and he 
He knows he's got single coverage. It's, it's, there's just a free safety in the middle, and he throws a perfect, what they call a dime, it comes out of the sky. And David Moore, like you said. And I learned this from um, Steve Largent. Steve Largent used to do this. He would, because ne- when he was against Lester Hayes, who was the best, you know, bump and run guy. Greater. Oh, unbelievable. And he would never show his hands until the ball was right on top of him. Otherwise, Lester would play his hands and knock the ball or he'd turn around at interception. Right. And so, you know, David Moore at a very young age has already learned that skill. Yeah, pretty awesome to see. And then, you know, the last play, Russell Wilson, he gets some uh, revenge on a guy named Captain Munnerlin. Captain Munnerlin picked him off his rookie year when the Seahawks played out there. Seahawks end up winning that game 16-12, to and, and uh, that was back in 2012. almost said 19-12, Paul. What's the matter with me? 1912 a long time ago. You weren't born back. yet, Dave. It feels like that we played then. But yes, it does. 2012, that was Russell's rookie year, and he got the ultimate revenge by completing a pass to Tyler Lockett. Third down and five. Got to move the sticks. Russell shuffles to his left. Looks. Now he's going to throw. Got Tyler Lockett outside. He's got the catch down at the 10, thrown off his feet by Cap Munderland. Russell Wilson waits, has time, rolls left. Throws back to the right side. Tyler Lockett uncovers all the way down at the 10-yard line. So as Steve said there, he rolls a little bit left. He's kind of on the opposite hash of where he's throwing the ball. It's probably a 50-yard throw. He didn't really get to step into it probably like he he wanted to, but he found Tyler Lockett, and this ended up setting up about the 10-yard line, setting up what would be the game-winning field goal. Yeah, th- this one was tricky because uh, Carolina ran a zone blitz. So they had a bunch, seven guys, again, around the line of scrimmage. You didn't know who was, who was coming uh, on the pass rush and who was dropping. Great job by our offensive line. Sweezy did a fantastic job of taking one of their rushers and really pushing him far to the right. And Russell Wilson stepped to his left to buy some time. This is a play that, and we had three wide receivers to our right. We had two, two wide receivers and Ed Dixon, uh, one of our tight ends. They all released out. And Russell slides to his left when the protection, you know, gave him that, that opportunity. And they had worked on this in practice. And that they ran this route where they ran a, a post route where the corner, it was a three deep zone. The left corner came off of it and, and ran with the wide receiver. And then they had a flat route. And the guy had to go and jump the flat route. Tyler Lockett in practice did this. And he had told Russell, well, I'm just working on something, you know, just in case. And it, it worked out beautiful. It was almost like an out-and-up or a flat-and-go, even though if you looked at it, it really wasn't. But it worked out beautiful. And, uh, you know, and for them to find this and to work on this in film study and in practice, they are on sync. And, and, th- and I'll say this one thing. What was missing last year that we have now this year, uh, two things. One, we can run the football. It's explosive plays offensively. We're getting those now in the passing. Awesome to see him and Tyler Lockett have that connection. They had a connection in the Chicago game that ended up being a touchdown, and they just looked at each other and knew they were on the same page, and that's eight touchdowns now for Tyler Lockett. That was a good signing. Yeah. Good, good really extension good. Yeah, signing. and everybody was going, wow, that's a lot of money for Tyler Lockett. That looks like a bargain now. Yeah, it does. And in a couple of years, it's really going to look like a good deal. Well, coming up next, we'll talk to the professor. He's got you covered all things NFL. John Clayton, that's next on Hawks Live. Hawks Live at Pearl Seafood and Oyster Bar in Bellevue's Lincoln Square. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling's Batch Number 12 Vodka and Legendary Donuts on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Hawks Live. It's Dave Wyman and Paul Moyer here. We're live from Pearl Seafood 
and Oyster Bar. And tonight, it's the delicious Steak Bistro. Come on down to Pearl. Enjoy all the drink and food specials that they have going on during the show. We're here every Thursday. We've got three more of these down here. Fantastic place down here. You can get your shopping done. Good deal. Right now, we're going to be joined by... John Clayton, the professor. John, I don't talk to you enough, so I no. thought we'd call you on a Thursday night as well. How are you? Absolutely. It's like we get, we get together Wednesday, Thursday nights, every day at uh, 4 o'clock. It's a good time. Yeah. So uh, tell us about uh, what's going on with the San Francisco 49ers. One question I have for you, John, I guess, is Kyle Shanahan. I think he's a really good coach, but you got to give him a break for this 2-9 and nine record right now. And like Paul was saying earlier, I mean, this team, if you didn't look at the record and just looked at some of the stats, other than turnover ratio, turnover, yeah, yeah but if you look at them on film, they look like they're a highly functioning team, you know, and they're not terrible or anything. But as far as Shanahan, he's definitely going to get a little bit of leeway because he's on his third-string quarterback, right? Yeah, you would hope so because what you're looking at, and I like what they've been doing roster-wise, but like anything else, first off, they run the Pete Carroll uh, defensive system, and that takes three years to get the talent to be able to do it. They're in year two. That's why I thought when everybody was talking playoffs and Jimmy Garoppolo and all that stuff, I thought that's like that's too too early. They're a six seven win team without the injuries, but they're not a nine ten win team. That may be more next year. So then all of a sudden Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. Jared McKinnon, their running back, gets hurt. Their wide receiving core has been just plagued with injuries. You know, on defense, they're still a pass rusher away from getting good. Cornerback on the other side of Richard Sherman, not there yet. So they just weren't ready for prime time. And when I went down to San Francisco to cover their training camp, what I did see is that they had very little leeway if they got injuries. Well, guess what? They got injuries, and that's why they're 2-9, and nine, even though I think talent-wise, if everybody was healthy, they're more of a 6-7 win team. You know, speaking of injuries, and, and, and I don't want to make this about Richard Sherman, but it, it's news. He's coming back. I mean, you know, one of the great all-time Seahawks. Um, you know, they pulled him with about seven and a half minutes in the game last week, and, and watching him, boy, he was not himself. He got beat deep early, never pressed again, and, and, and actually got beat for three or four passes. What's the injury status on him right now? Uh, he's fine. <clears throat> I mean, I think what it came down to, you pull him when you're – it's a 29-7 to 7 game or whatever the heck it was. <clears throat> and so it's like you realize, you know, he's an older type player at this stage. You know, just take him out. It's not going to change anything. But when you look at the big picture, I mean, so far in nine games, maybe this wasn't his best game, but he's only given up 16 completions and 30 attempts. For 248 yards, no touchdowns, and four pass defenses. That's pretty good. For the most part, for the most part, quarterbacks have stayed away from him. Now maybe that's a mistake. Maybe they should challenge him more. It's kind of like that Nambi Asenwa thing when he was at Oakland, and then also when he ended up going to Philadelphia. You know, teams threw on him more in Philly, and all of a sudden things became exposed. But why throw on Richard Sherman when you can go on the other side with Weatherspoon and beat him like a drum? Because on the other side, Witherspoon is barely holding on to his job as a third-round pick cornerback. And so it's like, okay, so you know, there's time right now for Sherman to be Sherman. And when you look at the 16 completions in nine games, that's pretty much the same pattern he had in his last four or five years in Seattle, less than two catches a game. Hey John, is this one of Pete Carroll's better coaching performances? In my opinion, I give him this is the best. And yeah. here's, here's the reason. Now, you can say 2013, when everything came together, and that became one of the best six or seven defenses in the history of the league, uh, and you've got Russell Wilson in his second year. But I, I think the debate is between 2012 and now. 
And so you go 2012, you got a rookie quarterback, third year build up in the defense, but still giving up 25 points a game. But also, it was a team that was really getting its core group together, gets into the playoffs, wins against Washington in the first round of the playoffs, almost pulled out a win in Atlanta. That was a great coaching, coaching job. But this is a one-year turnaround. And in a one-year turnaround, you get the defense to 22 points a game, good. you got you know Russell Wilson and the running game going to the point where they've gone from being one of the worst running teams in football to number one in rushing. So I, when I look at it, I think this is the best coaching job that he's done. I mean, again, you can throw 212, 213 into the mix, but in my way of thinking, to turn things around in one year, set the stage so that now a year or two now in the future, you can go to the Super Bowl if you get the right drafts and everything else in the next two years. I think this was his best coaching job. How about uh, GM, John Schneider? Um, I know the guy Pace in, uh, in Chicago Pace, yeah. Yeah, is, is probably the front runner just because you said Khalil Mack, those kind of uh, acquisitions. Trubisky drafted mm-hmm. a couple years ago. But uh, what about as far as the personnel? Continuing, that's assuming that the Seahawks continue at the, at the pace that they're playing right yeah, now. Yeah, because, I mean, again, it, it's all set for them to win nine or ten games. That depends. On, the Minnesota game is going to determine if it's going to be ten. The Carolina game put them in a position to be able to win ten. And so, uh, you know, John Snyder's done an incredible job. But the problem is when you're talking about executive of the year and coach of the year, it goes to the teams that aren't good that's all of a sudden become better. And that's why, you know, a guy like Orion Pace with the Khalil Mack trade on a team that most people thought was going to be five, six wins for the second-year quarterback, uh, and all of a sudden now they're going to possibly win the NFC North over Green Bay and Minnesota, two possible Super Bowl teams. I mean, he has the edge. The problem is, and again, this is the problem I know as an AP voter and voter on a bunch of other stuff, you reward the new and you forget the, the, the standards. Like, for example, uh, now again, the Saints are losing, so all of a sudden that would jeopardize you know, Sean Payton as his coach of the year. But overall, you don't necessarily reward the ones that are at the top. You reward the ones that get to the bottom and get into the middle. That may not be fair. It's just the reality of where it is. It is remarkable to see what the Seahawks and, and Schneider and Pete Carroll, how they've changed this team from last year really the last couple of years and now to be successful again and stats you know they are what they are i mean the seahawks don't have great stats but now they're winning and and it's it's set up for the playoffs what what is nationally the the viewpoint of the seahawks it's getting now to the point everybody's starting to say wow what a great job they've done but again that's because they ignored the reality you know, they looked at the numbers and they said, okay, you know, with K.J. Wright out most of the season, they've gone from eight Pro Bowl starters on defense to one Bobby Wagner. So it's like, okay, that's a 4-5 or five win team. What they didn't realize, they were getting good young players and other players drafted in the last couple of years that have started to emerge. I mean, Frank Clark had his breakout season last year. Now he's a Pro Bowl player. Then you start to look at uh, Jaron Reed. I mean, he's now had his breakout year, and I know, I think, what was it, ninth or eighth in the Pro Bowl voting at defensive tackle. And so, I mean, you can see that now things are starting to go from the pass drafts building up, and it's going to get only better and better and better, particularly when you add next year's draft into the mix. No, they've done an incredible job of turning things around. People are starting to realize that now when they beat Carolina and all of a sudden people are thinking, wow, this is a playoff team and probably the number five seed, now they're waking up to the fact of what's happening here in Seattle. John, real quick, uh, do you have a question for Dion Jordan? He's yeah, going to join guess, us in the next segment. Yeah, I guess, I guess the biggest thing is that, uh, you know, how's that knee holding up? 
How do you feel about uh, some of the pass rush stuff? Because again, going into the season, going into the preseason, most people thought he was going to be the starter. And of course, the knee things have held him back. But I guess the biggest thing: how's the knee? How do you feel? Because I know when he got to 33 plays, which was his most about a week or so ago. Yeah. I mean that that way he was he was pretty tired. I mean he admitted that. But again, he's a good athletic player, and just how he is health wise, that's the key. Yeah, and he's also the guy you want to get off the bus first. Big, yeah, studly-looking dude. Kind of like, like you and Moore used to be, right? Uh, we were in the back of the bus. Combined. Yeah, pretty much. Why yeah, you so? John. <laughs> if I put Paul on my shoulders, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, John. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right, coming up next on Hawks Live, we got Dion Jordan. That's next. <laughs> 